This is episode 24 of Spokes with director Nick Cavalier. You're listening to the Red Bicycle Media Spokes podcast, a show about the experiences of a film production house and the people they work with in the film industry with your host, James Pizarro. Welcome to another episode of Spokes, everybody. This is producer Christian welcoming you back. Thanks for tuning in, and um, we're excited about this one today. So, unfortunately, all good things must come to an end, and in this case, it's Director's Month. And we were very happy to have a great group of people come on to talk about their projects, their processes, and just what they've been up to during this whole COVID situation. So, uh, to Tyler Savino, Zach Dalton, Cooper Flanagan, and Julian Santos, a big thank you for coming on. And I'll say a thank you to our guests today in a bit. But uh, before we do that, I want to look ahead to September. We have a couple of DPs on the docket, so it could be a DP month. I'll let you know if you're not familiar with the term director of photography, cinematographer, many different names about it. Uh, but uh, we, if you're new, of course, if you're new to the uh, film industry, uh, but we will let you know sometime this week. Uh, now on to today's guest. If you were to tell this guest uh, that he'd be a successful director, a great filmmaker, he probably would not believe it because, to be quite honest, he says that he didn't expect it in the first place. Uh, but now he's here. He uses the medium film to highlight themes of heroism. Uh, his documentary work has earned him selections to film festivals, awards, and even a Vimeo staff pick. His documentary, Forced Perspective, about artist and fellow Clevelander Derek Hess, has won awards at Cleveland and Beverly Hills and was selected to South by Southwest. The film can now be seen on Amazon Prime. His comedy short, Conference, was selected as a Vimeo staff pick four months ago. Talk about getting things done during quarantine. We are excited to share this interview with you. Nick is a great guy who uses his talents to bring out the best in people, no matter what challenges they must go through, as seen in a couple of his work, and we will get into that on today's interview. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Nick Cavalier. What, first of all, made you interested in doing this? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's such a weird path for me, because I, I actually I wasn't one of those people who always wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't like want to be in the business and and all that uh from a young age or anything like that but i've always loved movies um music and art were my two first loves uh, i was kind of a troubled kid so i turned to music and um those things as an outlet and then i never you know i played drums i i i you know i tried everything i tried a lot of creative arts and uh i got into some trouble in high school i was expelled and put in a behavioral school and at that time you know, I was, I was, I turned to art a lot for escape, like drawing. And I went to, uh, basically I, long story short, I came back to Solon. I got into a vocational program because I was a couple years behind from being out of school and it was for the arts. And I got a scholarship to Columbus college of art and design through that. And the first year of CCAD is, is fo all foundational drawing and arts. And, um, it, it's boot camp basically for artists and, uh, I love drawing, but I, 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 because that was so difficult, it kind of made it not fun for me anymore. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this for a living. And at that time, I met a friend named uh, DJ Cosgrove, who's an editor. And him and I were super into metal at the time. And music videos were still a thing. And we had all this access to gear if we declared a 
the major of time-based. So we're like, let's, let's start doing our own stuff and then also our classwork, you know? And that's how I got into it. So it just like, like just through, you know, finding, and then I fell in love with it obviously, because to me, it's, it's unlike any other art because it's so collaborative, especially from the director's chair side of it. It's like, we always get all the credit, but it really isn't just you. It's everybody. It's the actors. It's the, you know, the camera department. It's, you know, who helps bring it to life, the score, you know, the post mix, all those details matter. So I really enjoyed like how different it is every time you, you work on something, every project has different needs. Um, you know, every project is different just by sheer budget or, or the creative it, it you're actually creating in general, it's different. And how do you bring that to life? And that's, that's kind of how I got, that's what I fell in love with. And that's, how, that's, you know, the short story of how I got into it, but. Well, I think I, I, you bring up a, a great point. Everybody thinks that the, everything below the line is just uh, somewhat interchangeable, and it may be. But I think when you find your group uh, that you want to work with and um, are able to communicate and you know that you can concentrate on what you need to do, which is direct um, and delegate, which is part of what you do, um, I, I just think you come up with a better product. So do you remember your first few pro uh, projects or what... what um, kind of got the ball rolling that you said that I might be decent at this? Yeah, I, um, my friend DJ and I in college, he, he hit up this band called Before Their Eyes, which ironically Derek Hessen did, worked with. Uh, I didn't know I'd be doing that project at that time, but um, yeah, he, 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 um, he was just like, yeah, I want to do a video for these guys. I think they're really cool. They're from Ohio as well. Really nice guys. And I just helped shoot. Uh, I basically, it was back in the Canon GL H1 days and like, you know, the little tiny DVXs and uh, with the right to tape. And that's, that's, that's when I started to fall in love with it. Cause I, I started editing and shooting and I, I did every part of the process and explored. And I think that's what college or school or any learning should be for is to, to play, you know, to, to, to find where you fit in production, because I mean, you find yourself through the process of filmmaking too, in a way, you know, you find what you're good at, you find what your natural skills are. And so that's, that was the first thing I really remember being like, Oh, you know, I think I could do this. And then him and I started traveling that lit a fire in me too, just being able to like meet different people and go different places and use um, the craft of film to honestly, like, you know, fund a life, like fund a lifestyle almost like being able um, to, especially with documentary, you know, you learn so much, just talking to people and you gotta, you've got to listen a lot. And it's just, it's, it's made me a better person too. You know, I think. I think the behind the scenes of that is when you do a lot of documentaries or, or that kind of work, you meet a great cross section of people and uh, just by meeting them, you're more enriched. And uh, if you're able to tell their stories, that's even better. Did you then? Did you um, uh, migrate out? Do the mic a great migration out west? And tell me how that uh, how that went. Oh well, I actually so I got out of I got out of college in two thousand nine when the, the economy collapsed, and um, I took a job. Yeah, perfect timing. Um, I took a job in advertising in Chicago right out of school, and that taught me a lot about you know, working with clients, uh, coming up with practical creative that you can execute, uh, within a budget, things like that. 
And at that point, I still didn't have any aspirations to be a director or like a filmmaker. I just, I, I knew I was good at something. And in advertising, I was working on new business stuff. So I was cutting reels and cutting like behind the scenes case studies and vignettes. So it was sort of the beginning of doing the documentary work. I learned a lot from that job. And, but I had, I had hit a ceiling at the, there. I was like, creatively, like, you know, I couldn't, there was only so much I could do um, there, you know? So I was like, I think I'm going to freelance. And I, I, I saved up some money, I cashed out my 401k and I quit my job, and which was insane looking back on it. I mean, it was pretty reckless. Um, and I just started meeting people in Chicago and trying to do commercial work. I met um, a, a chef's, uh, Fabio Viviani, around that time. He was opening his first restaurant in Chicago. And him and I hit it off and we started working together all the time. We've worked together for 10 plus years now. Um, I met a bunch of other creative people in film and I got, you know, I, I learned, you know, how to work with a crew around that time and, uh, my friend, uh, other directors and things like that, you know, and just getting inspired and soaking everything up and just trying to pay my bills on, on it. And just no job was too small. No job was too big. And eventually after like five years of doing that in Chicago, I realized that I couldn't, the kind of work I was gravitating to, like the, these high end branded doc work didn't really exist um, at the time, you know, it was like probably 2012 ish when I was about to move to LA or considering it. And I was like, you know, if I go to LA, at least I'll have, I, I think I'll have more film, creative film opportunities, even if I'm just doing the commercial work to pay the, the bills. And that's when I started the project on Derek as well. And so they kind of coincided at the same time. And I, I just, I just, my brother was out there. He's a, he's a, a art director, like a all around graphic designer, creative web designer does a bunch of stuff. And so I, I was like, you know what, I'll go, I'll go to LA and see what happens. And I told myself, I'd give myself 10 years to make some things happen. And, um, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of LA, but I am, you know, like it's, it's expensive. It's, it's a dirty city. It's, it's a, there's a lot of superficiality there, but I've over the six years, seven years of being there now, I've made really good groups of friends, both in because of, uh, because of what we do for a living and, and also just, just meeting a ton of people out there. And so it's starting to grow on me and I don't know, I don't know. I don't have any like lofty ambitions, uh, with directing as far as like, I don't have like a, a thing I want to do. I just want to pay my bills and make cool things that people enjoy. You know, that's always been my goal. Um, right now I'm, I'm trying to use my connections out there, my friends, friendships with comedians and things to try to make my own projects. So now I'm going to try to do a comedy feature. I'm going to try to, I'm, you know, I'm trying to write screen right now, which I've never done before. So it's just for me, you know, I'm in my early thirties. It's like a really, I, I feel like there's no rush with directing, you know, Martin Scorsese's 175 years old and he's still making movies. You know what I mean? Oh, he's like still, he's still making them like crazy. Yeah, an amazing movie. Yeah, do you have a bend toward uh, doing commercial versus, because, you know, there's a saying that people, uh, everybody thinks commercial is kind of the uh, big minor league, so to speak, or, you know, like uh, AAA ball. Uh, not anymore. It, it's almost like, you know, people who are doing commercial work or TV work versus uh, uh, feature film work, uh, it, the lines have definitely blurred as far as who's working in each arena, correct? Yeah. So is there, is there an area you enjoy more? I think they're very different arts, at least in my head. That's how I approach it. Like with, with commercial work, I've been, I, I haven't done like stereotypical commercial work in the sense of like, 
you know, it's like a Geico commercial or something like that. I haven't done that sort of work and I, that's intentional. I mean, I'm, I probably could get those jobs, but I think like the, the branded content stuff that I'm doing with like these micro docs, it's a way to marry film making the art, the crap, the art of it, like the real thing with, with brands that have an actual story to tell. I just finished a project. We talked a little bit before uh, we started here with, with some friends of ours in wine country about this winemaker, Edgar Torres. He has a brand called Bodega de Edgar, but he came illegally from Mexico when he was a kid, snuck over the border with his dad. Uh, instead of going to college, you know, busting his butt, like waiting tables and everything and doing every job he could, he just bought four barrels of wine instead of four years of college. And he started a brand and it's an American dream story. And I was like, you know what we, we, yeah, we got to market wine, but why don't we tell this? It's a powerful story. The guy is an inspiring person, you know? So I would like doing, as far as commercial work goes, I prefer to try to, I'm trying to build a brand of my own or my style of work so that I can con consistently get work like that. And hopefully for bigger brands, you know, and that, that sort of work to me, I think is very fulfilling. I really enjoy it because you're restricted by selling something and you have to hit marketing points and you have to, you know, there, there's a working with a client element that doesn't really exist in film. You know, even if you're working with a studio, they, they understand you have to express yourself, you know, uh, what's exciting about that is there's a puzzle you have to solve. And so I approach it like that. I reverse engineer a thing almost. Um, and whereas when you do your own work, I think one hand washes the other because the things that I've learned from that have, you know, jumped my work into another level in my own passion projects because you, you have to be more effective, you know, your shot listing, your, your time crunches when you're on set, um, restrictions of budget, whatever it ends up being, you, you know, you become more resourceful. And I think those, those creative limitations are freeing, you know, for your own work. So I, I don't, the, the line's starting to blur, but I really enjoy, they're different arts, you know, but I, I just, that's how I look at it, I guess, you know, I, there's not one that's more exciting to me. Well, some people enjoy the, the one-offness of uh, doing commercial work where you, you, you do the, you know, two or three days of shooting or up to even just one day. And, you know, uh, there's obviously more prep involved uh, than the actual shoot, it seems. You know, the shoot is almost secondary that if you would have done your homework, um, it, it makes it much easier. Whereas if you're doing something like a, a, a feature doc, you're, um, my favorite saying is you're building the airplane as you're, as you're flying it because... You know, you're, you doesn't have a true script. You sometimes have to find the story and and mine all those things as you're going, uh, which is kind of the fun part as well, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think for me though, I mean, I think what the commercial work has done on that note has made it, it made me more intentional with how I build a project in pre-production that is like that. Um, like with Derek, the Derek Hestock I did for Suspective, I kind of went into that just as a fan, and I was like, there's this is a cool space and there's all this amazing art and there's obviously some dark subject matter. So let's dig into that and find out where it takes us. If I were to do that over today, I would know exactly what I wanted to do with that script. I'd have a three act structure laid out and then I'd start to build the thing. I mean, I'd still, you'd still find things and there's still a lot of mystery to it, but I would, I would, you know, create restrictions or parameters that allow the production value to be higher. And so you're not overshooting and you're not just wearing down your subject. I mean, there's, there's great merit in being calculated as a director, I think, as far as storytelling, because we're in a great time with digital stuff where you can just roll forever. But if you roll forever, you know, you're not as, you're not focusing that energy into directing to me, you know, I mean, I think 
the reason doc gets looked at sometimes is almost like the ugly redheaded stepchild of filmmaking for whatever reason, which I, I don't agree with. I think it's can be some of the most powerful stories are the, are the true ones. And but is because the production value and the barrier to entry is so much lower. And I think with, you know, since you, you're in camera department all the time, you know, this more than anybody, it's like, there's, you can do that. You can, there's times obviously where you, you don't want a crew, you don't want to spook somebody, or maybe it's dangerous or things like that. Um, like with COVID, when I, I was shooting this, this Herman story project, I couldn't ask a crew to come, you know, I had to, I had to be really intimate with this winemaker and write up with him. And, you know, I got tested, he got tested, we did everything we could, but at a certain point, filmmaking is just you with that person, you know what I mean? And so that, that's a limitation, you know, and I had to, but you know, that, I think those, those, I, you, it, production value in doc is something I take very seriously and, and setting those parameters allows you to do that. How do you feel about uh, your, your, your standpoint as, as a director? Are you, are, are you more of a technical uh, versus a uh, technical, I mean, overall, you know, the look and everything, or are, are you an actor's director? I, I never understood that one, actually, to be honest with you. I never, I, I know what they, I know what it means, but it's like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think I probably live somewhere in the middle. I mean, I don't, I, I like to let the crew uh, do what they do best. So if I work with somebody like Tyler or John Pope or any of those people, any good DP, I'm not going to sit there and go, Hey, move that light over there. And, and I need a, you know, I need a 45 degree angle and a big soft box and eight by eights. You know, I don't, they know what they're doing. You know, like I look at it like a maestro or something like a conductor. You're just sort of like, you're steering the ship. You know, I put bumper lanes up and I let, and I, I let them bring their art to it. And likewise with actors. I mean, when I work with my comedian friends, you know, Greg and Billy and all the, and Jade, they're hilarious. You know, we, we write these scripts together. We talk about what we want to do. And, but you know, honestly, sometimes a lot of those lines are improvised. And if I was strict with it, we wouldn't have those moments, you know? So I, I, I like to, I like to trust in the process, I guess. I don't know what that would make me, but, I, but I'm, I am very technical. I mean, I, my background is in everything. I've done editing, I've done audio, I've shot. I, I can do a little bit of everything. So that's great when you, when I had to go to Brazil with Jade and it's just me and a camera and her and, you know, or the Herman story thing I was just talking about, but I prefer not to work that way. I'd, I'd rather have somebody like yourself or whatever there. And it frees me up to be in the moment with those people, whether it's doc or acting or anything. It's just, my mind works so much better where can I just focus on one thing, you know? Um, so when I'm on set, all the, all the technical work that I've done has been done beforehand. And when I'm there, it's, I rely on a producer or somebody just to wrangle me and just to keep me on time and like, okay, you got 20 more minutes, then we got to change over. So, all right, cool. What do I need to do? How I'm thinking as an editor, I guess, technically I'm thinking how it's going to come together. That's about as technical as I get. Um, like I know when we have something and I'm, and we're shot, I go, I move on. I don't do 20 more takes. Um, I just move on, you know, and I think, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, I guess. No, I think you're right. It's almost like you don't want to just say, let's just do one for safety. Why would you do one? You already have one and you know, you have the take and, and that, that, that safety take is never going to be the one you're going to use. If you, you know, that, yeah. everybody pulls yeah. that, but there is, do you find that there's that, that, uh, perfect, uh, well, how can I put it? each situation is different, right? Sometimes it's good to have this micro crew because you can actually, uh, get access or be more creative or really make the subject feel more at ease. Right. But then, 
you end up having more responsibility. So I, I find there's always that balance that I'm sure you know about. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's for me. It's it's. Uh, I think the job dictates that a lot of times, sure. whether it's budget or the nature of it. You know, with with going to Brazil with with my friend Jade. She's a comic. She's very funny. She's a flamboyant person, but we didn't know each other at all. Wow, wow. Like we, we worked together. She was an actress, you know, uh, in this sketch that I did a series of sketches I did with my comedian friend, Greg. And then she saw them and she's like, Oh, these are great. And then she saw a piece I did on my friend, Billy Bonnell, who's another comic. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to Brazil to do comedy in Portuguese for the first time. I haven't spoken Portuguese since I was like 10 years old. So I want to, I want to document it. I don't know what this thing will be, but it's, it's a moment we need to capture. And th the experience was profound for her. I mean, you know, even not speaking any Portuguese, I knew what I understood what was happening. And I think if I would have had a crew there, I don't think we would have got this, like these visceral moments of like her crying. And I mean, I'm, it's like, it's became a, a personal journey between me and her and me observing her personal journey. And I became her friend through it, you know? And I think those moments is where you there that that would be overstepping in a way. You know what I mean? That would delegate too much responsibility, especially with international travel. Um, but honestly, it would have made better production value, right? So there's a balance I try to do um, when I when I first get a when, let's say it's a commercial job and I'm writing a treatment. I'm thinking about who I'm going to use, how I'm going to scale it, all the things that a producer thinks about before I even discuss it with a producer. I'm trying to think that way because some so so much of directing for me is like putting a puzzle together um you know it's it's really it's like you know the image is there it's like you've got a thousand piece puzzle like it's how you go about it is almost as important as just solving the thing you know well the you know third part of uh storytelling right is is in the is in the anime and i i find that sometimes that's where you're you can rescue a story or you can take a great story and really make it even even better do, do yeah. you find that um uh, you're, I, I find one of the biggest challenges is how to be original because you know we're influenced by what we see on 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 uh, video on demand or or, or, or whatnot or or even what we see on YouTube. How, what do you what are you uh, what do you get inspired by or is there anything that you are do you always have your eyes open uh, obviously but what are your what do you what do you derive inspiration from? That's a good question. I I don't. I don't, I watch a lot of movies, obviously, like I watch a lot of TV and stuff, but I, when I'm watching something, I'm trying to escape. I'm, I used to be a very critical person with watching things and trying to see how they put things together. And I don't, I don't necessarily pull inspiration from other films or other filmmakers. Although if I see some technical shot, like a long one take, like the, the long one takes that I've done in a lot of my pieces were really inspired by Martin Scorsese. I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan. I love his underdog stories too. I like that he's consistent with his stories, that they're always, you know that it's a Martin Scorsese story, you know what I mean? Before you even see his name, mm -hmm. you would. So that's always been my North Star. I go, okay, this guy's, he's a master obviously, right? So I, I just wanna be good at, at, in my own way like that. And most of what I pull from storytelling is from reading or listening to podcasts or um, anything like that. But I, I'm really interested in history and, and um, ancient history and, uh, and more, more particularly philosophy and, and Greek myth or like, you know, uh, Dante's Inferno, like timeless storytelling. Um, and so those things really inspire me and, and everything that I do, I want, I want to be making a three piece suit. I want it to never go out of style. Um, 
I'm trying not to lean. I don't, I try not to be political. I try not to have, I want it to be something that is um, transcendent of time. You know, uh, I watched with my parents, I'm here visiting family because of COVID right now. And with my parents, I watched uh, a movie called City Heat, uh, Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. I had never seen it. Awesome movie. And that inspired me. I was like, I didn't even think you could do a period piece that was like that. It was kind of like Chinatown, but it had a lot of comedy to it. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I guess I just pull from everything. You know, I love to cook. I love to, I, uh, I used to do martial arts. Uh, I did, I did drums, you know, music. I just, anything that speaks to me, I guess I try to, I try to make a note of it. You know, like the other day I was out running and, uh, I, I was running, uh, up this hill that had, uh, like a root system that looked like a staircase. And I was like, how cool would it be if I get to do another architecture job to have an architect talk about their inspiration and then film them walking through the woods and then do a smash cut of like a, a framed up shot of the staircase the, that uh, they look over and then they see the staircase and the camera show, you see their point of view and then juxtapose that with a match shot of them in their space that they were inspired by that, that was inspired by that, that they actually physically created. I was like, that was just, it just came to me while running, you know? And I think those moments to me, that's what I write down. I, I, I'll, I always have a notepad with me or next to my bed, talking to my phone a lot. I'll just like hit the speaker button. And, oh, that's a good idea. And then, you know, write it down. That to me, that's to remain original. I think it has to come from within and not externally. You know, there's a, there's a fantastic short podcast before podcasts existed was done by a company called Belief Design. It's called Pollinate. Um, and it was, probably like 2002, three, somewhere around there. And they, they talked to a bunch of people about inspiration and how they get their inspiration. They talked to Michelle Gondry and a lot of people like that. But the, one of the most superficial things in that doc was most inspiring to me. There was a woman on there talking, uh, she was talking to Liza Minnelli or something like that. She's like, how do you look so young as you're older? And she goes, you ever seen a man shave? And I go, she goes, what, where is she going with this? You know, they go like this. So she gets, she does those exercises every day. I was like, wow. I mean, inspiration can really come from anywhere in my mind, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, yeah. do you feel that then, you know, uh, there, a lot of ideas are born, um, you know, in your brain, you go through literally a thousand a day. How do you then take the next step and say, you know what, I need to like, um, cultivate this and bring it to another level rather than just have it sit on a, on a, on a phone or a, or a, you know, a notepad. Do you take any of those ideas and actually say, all right, I'm going to spend a day or a weekend actually cultivating this into 10 pages or so? Yeah, I think it, it is hard because you, I have tons of ideas that like, you know, that you have that you're, you've never executed. I find that I just keep that stuff around. And then if an opportunity presents itself, like with the architecture idea, if I got another job, like the Vocon job, I would try to integrate that. You know what I mean? I, it's an idea I may have had 10 years ago or something, but I'm not, now I'm, I'm given a structure or an opportunity to actually execute that. When it comes to your own work, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty, there's something wrong with my brain, you know, I'm literally like I'm bipolar, but I, I have racing thoughts. I have, I constantly need to be doing something. So right now during COVID, you know, production's more or less shut down for the most part. I'm still writing. I'm still doing things. I'm still, I'm putting that energy that I would be putting into any of my other things and putting them into something else. Um, and that's when I take those ideas and I'll go through there and I'll be like, well, what, what do I want to make right now? You know what I mean? 
I mean, granted, I can't produce anything right now, but let's, let's create something. Let's build something, you know, and I've got a couple projects in post right now. So thankfully that's keeping me busy, but you know, this, that idle hands for me or the devil's play thing. And I, I try to, I try to use that to, to my advantage, you know, how are you then? Um, uh, first of all, what is your view on doing kind of spec work, uh, types of thing, uh, things? Do they, do you think they spawn other work or they, they, do they just become spec work? <laughs> oh, I've, I'm uh, advocate for it. If the, the opportunity, if you're not getting taken advantage of, that's, that's the big thing. You know, it's real easy, especially in the beginning. And I've had it happen to me to just get taken advantage of by people, you know, and, and not only that, you can, then you put your crew in that position, you know, they're working for free. Everyone's working long hours and it's not as simple as just me anymore, you know? So like the, the project that I, some of the spec, I mean, lower rate or lower budget projects that have brought me work is like a good example is got groove records. The piece I did here in Cleveland that my friend, John Pope and I are very into music. You know, we, we were both in metal bands at some point. He, he's a, he's like a super interested in music this day, finds new things. I kind of listen to things we listened to years ago, mostly. I, I, I still find things when they come up, but I'm not actively seeking music, whereas he is. And he saw, he's, I told him, I want to do something on vinyl. I think it's really interesting that it's coming back. And got a groove. I met those guys in 2009 when I got out of school. I went to South by Southwest with a band called Chelsea Automatic. And they sponsored their, they were just starting their business and they sponsored the showcase that they had at the, in South by Southwest. And I was like, man, I wonder what they're up to. And at, as soon as I thought that Vince hit me up to, to make a, a video about them. And I was like, this is the opportunity to do that. And John was on board and, and, and his uh, AC Mike, and we were like, let's do it. And then I had, you know, people score it and mix it. And I asked a lot of those people, but I think that those work, that's where you find your voice. That's where, that's where to answer your question earlier, that's where you, you get to play, you get to be a kid again, you get to be excited about what you're making. And for me, those have always brought better work. You know, uh, that I, I would, I assume part of the reason I got that Vocon commission job was because of that piece. I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my passion project work brings me paid work. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate for putting yourself out there. Now you got to have people like yourself who are into that idea. And, and I'm always, one thing I'm very proud of is I've never, I've never intentionally misled anybody, you know, like there's a lot of that in this business. I mean, I'll, I'll say, Hey man, look, I only got X amount of money. If you want to do it, cool. If not, I totally understand, you know, and I just put it on the crew and I put it on the people who are working and I try to, anyway, I try to be as transparent as possible. Obviously sometimes things come up, you know, budgets change, but I would, I would always put them before me. And I think that's why people always, they're always willing to work on passion projects. They want to work with you. And it's gotta be a two way street as well. Like you, you the, the, we've all been there and it, you feel much better about working on something and just know that, Hey, I know they have my, my back. They don't have, I, I'm not, you're not doing a running tab, but I, I think it's, it's just good to know that people at least uh, will, will help you out as well. And, yeah. Sometimes, you know, you end up just doing it by yourself and <laughs> you don't want to ask anybody else any favors. That's just how it is, you know, because you know how hard that can be. Do you, um, so the scene obviously is different out West. I mean, everything's changed. I mean, the work has um, dried up in some places and has spawned work in other places. What are, how do you feel uh, it's going to be moving forward? Do you, do you kind of have a feeling or a, 
uh, a prediction I, I guess we can uh, hold you to on <laughs> what's going to happen in the next uh, year or so? Oh, my God. I mean, it's horrifying to think about, honestly, for me. Um, I, I was just getting some stride, I think, reputation-wise, uh, trying to find, like, a legitimate agent and or join a production company or something like that. And I, I'm not going to be approaching any of that until all of this is clear. I, what scares me is, like, the, the way of working that I enjoy, um, the intimacy, you know, of filmmaking is not really possible right now. I mean, you know, we have friends, I know, you know, like Mikey and like Kiros, Josh, a lot of these, the crew that they're working on big movie sets. And I have friends who are producers that are telling me that each day now is like at least 20 to $30,000 more expensive every day. And for somebody like me, who's trying to, I want to be undeniable. I want to do it on my own terms. I don't want to, uh, I have no interest in doing like big Marvel movies or anything like that. I want to be doing this, my art. Now that comes at a cost because, you know, you're not going to get, you know, 10, $20 million generally for something. And now that's become even harder. So in the pessimist in me goes, Oh man, this, we'll see what happens. I'm going to still just going to try my best to do self-produce all my own projects. The optimist in me tells me that I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of the things that I don't like about LA are going to go away. A lot of the superficiality, a lot of the people who are pretending to be, good at something and just because they like status or something like that and then they want to be in a set that's going to go away because it's a hard business to begin with and so i think i i'm hoping anyway that with streaming being the way it is and and everything that that we're, we're witnessing a shift where uh people like myself can produce their own smaller things for for the the kind of money that is livable and makes a functional budget and then it finds an audience. So I'm hoping that this is like a shock to the system a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't really know. I mean, I don't think anybody does, you know? No, I, I, I don't think anybody does either, but it's interesting to get what people's perspective is. And I agree, um, that maybe smaller sets will be the way to go. Uh, we, we did one production where the, the, uh, uh, director as well as the uh, production company were out west and they were be able to direct via zoom which is, was certainly surreal but um I, I don't prefer doing it that way i like people you know that you can actually it's just you know there's a layer of of communication that gets taken away that way it's just like this podcast right i mean you think about it like we we have to do it by zoom right now but like i always find every one that i've done when you're in the room you know, you read people's body language and you feed off that energy and it's, it's usually a lot more in sync, you know, and it, that's just like a film set. For sure. For sure. So what, what, how are you keeping yourself busy right now? And what, what aspect of your, uh, your own uh, chops are you trying to improve? Uh, well, I, I've, I've, as far as commissions go, I had the, the, the project I was talking about with Edgar, I just finished that. I got the mix and color back and everything. So for I don't know the last two months I, I basically we were, we have no we had no reason to get it out you know so yeah. we took our time and I really I tightened it up and I think it's one of the best things I've ever made actually um, so that that was that was exciting I added actually I added all of my own pieces so that always keeps me busy so I have I have um, uh, the project with Jade that I was working on, it's called Estrangira is the working, working title right now. It's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a story of like a Phoenix story basically, but it's, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. It's about comedy and her, her story. She basically ended up uh, becoming the host of the soup took over for Joel McHale. 
So that changed our whole trajectory of the film. So right now, uh, I mean, I had shot, I've shot probably 60% of what we need to finish the movie right now. So I'm actually assembling those scenes and, you know, kind of just doing like an assembly cut more or less, and then working on another sizzle to try to get investment for that. So that's keeping me very busy right now. Um, I, I'm also doing writing that script. So that is something that I try to do. I don't know, like a page or so every other night or, and then just, or just refine something or work on the dialogue on this thing. I just kind of, chunk away at it it's not something i need i have a deadline for i need to, to do um and as things are happening in the world i'm being inspired by it i mean the stuff with tiktok's interesting like china and the, this the story the plot of this thing has a lot to do with technology so i'm trying to like find a timeless way to tell these stories so it's not grounded to like something like tiktok or facebook or instagram that it's more universal than that and that's been kind of challenging trying to write that. And then I'm not a writer. So I'm, I'm writing as a director, like I'm writing it as scenes, which I know I'm going to have to have a writer go through and, and kind of rework my, my work, but at least I'm trying to envision it as a film and like as something I would watch. And that's been really interesting to try to, to do. I mean, I've never done anything like that. So that's, that, that, that's pretty much it right now. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, things change here uh, as far as like a vaccine sometime before next year. Cause I have a lot of projects in the, in the fire that I want to do. Uh, the, the wine uh, project I did with Edgar and Herman's story, it's connected me to so many people in that world. And I think it's a fascinating craft and it's an old craft and it is timeless. And that area Paso Robles is like a, a ranching logging kind of like vibe to it. It's, it's like a pioneer wild west manifest destiny type thing. There's a lot of interesting folks there and there's very, there's obviously pretension in, in wine, but there's very little there. And I find that interesting. It's a lot of sweat equity, a lot of actual physical work and getting dirty. And I think being from Cleveland and being working class, that's like one thing that I re- always gravitate to. So I want to do either a docu-series or a feature around these, these, a bunch of these characters that I've, I've met. And so I'm trying to, uh, I'm hoping that in 2021, beginning of their harvest, like the end of their harvest is in November where they pick the fruit and then, uh, the life cycle, the plant starts again. So I'd like to get money by that time next year so that I can start documenting them. So that's, that's, I'm hoping, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID, but that's my, that's my plan. So. It's interesting. I, I think content is still always going to be needed, um, preferably good content and digestible content. Um, I find myself watching just a ton of, of YouTube and I'm, I'm interested in so many things. And I find even some of the guys who are maybe not strictly filmmakers are just really good storytellers. And they engage me for, for you know, if not five minutes, at least, you know, 12 minutes or even 20 minutes if it's if it's really good. So. I definitely think there's room for that uh, in, in in your growth. So if I was going to ask you what, I, I, nobody wants to be pigeonholed. I totally get that. You probably can do many different projects uh, or many types of different projects. Where would you say your best niche would be? Where 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 do you think that would be um, placed? Uh, I think my my biggest strength. I mean, I've I've been thinking a lot about this during COVID, to be honest with you, because not having a goal is great, but then I think you need to have some sort of a strategy, you know, as to what you want to be doing. Um, 
for me, I love underdog stories, whatever they are. I mean, every single thing except for the comedy pieces on my site are, that's part of it. You know what I mean? Like there's always this uh, character who's being tested in some way, you know? Um, that to me is, is, my, is where I think I'm the strongest. I have, especially in doc, when you're connecting with somebody, you know, I, I, had a, I had a rough go of it for a while. Like I was telling you, being in trouble and things like that. I think I'm, I'm pretty empathetic towards everybody, you know, and I think that's something that helps a lot in doc is actually just listening and just, you know, just connecting and trying to put yourself into that person's position and sort of trying to understand what that journey has been for them and then bringing that to life and hopefully affecting other people. And I think that's, as far as doc, I can say with confidence that that's my skill with film. I don't know. I mean, the comedy stuff is, because of do it starting in doc and music videos and all those other things, I think comedy grabbed me because it's not like slavishly tied to a script. You know what I mean? There's a lot of improvision. There's a lot of fun being had. And these are also my friends, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have had friends like that in LA that just want to get up on a Saturday and make something, you know what I mean? And oh. so, so I've taken a liking to that a lot. And, I would love to do something a little bit more dramatic and comedic uh, is like the next step for me. And that's what this screenplay I'm writing is sort of like a coming of age. One of, I was really inspired by this movie that I love Richard Linklater. I think is his stuff is incredible. It always has been. And I like that he doesn't oversaturate his work. You know, he's, he's only pops out and does a movie and you're like, Oh, that's a Linklater thing. And then it's, it's gone. And so he did a movie in 2016 that I, like flew under the radar for some reason. It's like the unofficial follow-up to days of confused. It's called everybody wants some and it's in the eighties with, you know, baseball players. And it's like the first week of them starting school. And it really got me excited about all the movies I grew up with when I was a kid, you know, all those eighties coming of age things, like any of the John Hughes things as well, you know? And I was like, why aren't we seeing more movies like that? Like I, I personally, I think comedies have been really bad lately. Um, I, I know there's a couple that came out this year that were pretty great. I haven't seen yet, like uh, King of Staten Island or whatever, right. King of Long Island. But I, I want to, I would love to do, I would, I mean, again, on my own terms, I, I want to just find that voice for myself over time and there's no hurry. And, but I think that that'd be a place I'd like to, to explore, you know? I, and I think the challenge is like, how do you eat <laughs> and yeah. still be creative? I mean, you know, the, uh, what is the first thing um, a, a, a my parents said, uh, if I wanted to, like, if I told them I was just going to be a guitar player or, or a filmmaker, they said, that's all good and well for a hobby, but real people don't do that for a living. Um, that's always the paradox that you run into. Like, wouldn't it be great if you can just be uh, just creative and get paid well all the time? But um, you, you have to love it. It's, it's really a game of attrition. Do you, um, so if, if, if you had your druthers, um, you'd want to do, you'd want to do something in comedy or uh, preferably like, like you did like a, a comedy doc. So is that going to yeah. be, is, is that piece, um, where are you in production? Has that come out or, 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 or whatnot? The, uh, the comedy in, or, or the, uh, the, uh, project in Brazil? Uh, well it's, I'm still, her and I, um, you know, she's got real representation. So she's, She's working there. There's always, we're always shopping it. We've had some interest. I can't really talk about it, you know, understood, like understood. but, yeah. it's, but my attitude, general, general, like yeah, overview. My, my attitude has always been, I'm just going to do it anyway. 
mm-hmm. because I don't need anybody's permission to make things. That's my, that's my thought. Um, if we don't get a deal, then I'll go to festival with it. You know, when it's done, we'll just finish it ourselves. And, you know, I'll ask favors of crew again and pay them in the back end. You know what I mean? And I, I'm, I'm grateful and I feel very lucky as to where I'm at in that way, where I have this network of folks like yourself and James and all the people that I know in production that are just like, want to make cool things. And I, I, I feel like a lot of times we get in our own way and we go, yeah, well, you know, my idea is not good enough or whatever. It's like the doing is what's important. And so I'm just, I'm, I just, I'm just with that project. I'm just, I, Jade and I have a great relationship. She's super inspiring to me as well. And she's just an amazing human. So like if, if I can just capture that and I can make something that I enjoy watching, I think a lot of other people will enjoy watching it too. And that's, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. I'm just piecing it together. And I assume I'll probably try to aim for next year for the festival circuit, whether it gets bought or not. Um, whether it comes back. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, right now, I mean, like I did a bunch of stuff this year that I could be submitting for, or I could have submitted this year in it when COVID happened, I was like, I mean, I love the film festivals and I want to support them. So I probably will, especially like the ones that I'm alumni of that have helped me out for so many years. But it's also like, it's a weird place to be as a filmmaker because the whole point of that is to go there in person and meet folks and try to get investment and, you know, network with other filmmakers and makers and things. And if you can't do that, it's just a laurel, you know? Uh, So first of all, where do we find you? Um, if we need to get a hold of you, uh, nickcavalier.com. All my stuff's on there. Um, you can find all the films we talked about, or at least the ones that are released. And um, uh, my Instagram, Facebook, you know, all the usual places. I'm I'm on all those. So, well, I look forward to uh, hopefully uh, finally collaborating with you. And uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great conversation with Nick. Just an awesome guy. A lot of obstacles, as you heard in the beginning and during the whole episode. And you can tell how he can relate a lot of that to uh, his work that he's done, especially Force Perspective. Uh, So that's it. That's it for today. That's it for Director's Month. Uh, Thanks, Nick, for coming on and chatting with us. Uh, You can watch his Vimeo Staff Pick Conference on our episode page, as well as Force Perspective on Amazon Prime. Thanks for listening. Remember to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcasting platform or on redbicyclemedia.com slash podcast. We are on social at Red Bicycle Media, and we'll see you next time.